Welcome back to the Daily Devotion. My name is Kevin. I'm the pastor of Christ Church Conway, a congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America here in Conway, Arkansas. The Daily Devotion is a time for us to be strengthened in our faith through the study of Scripture and theology. We're studying the book of Galatians, and we've worked our way through the first four chapters, and so now we come to chapter 5. And the, the message doesn't change here, but the kind of in the, the part of the message that Paul is wanting to announce does change here. I want to give a little bit of, of background and understanding of, of kind of the, the general structure of Paul's letters. It's more explicit some places than others, but generally in Paul's letters, you can find what people have talked about as a, an indicative imperative structure. And here's what this means. It means that Paul sees indicative statements necessarily coming before the imperative statements. Here's what that means. An indicative statement, if you remember back from elementary school, there, there are different kinds of sentences. There, there are, you know, indicative, oftentimes we learn them as declarative statements. There are exclamatory, there are interrogative statements, and, there's imper and there are imperative sentences. Indicative or declarative statements simply make a statement. They, they you know, announce what is true. The, the sky is blue. The sun is warm, right? Things like that. Those would be indicative statements. An imperative statement is a statement, if you remember, that gives a command. Wash your room, or wash your hair, clean your room, do your homework, go to work, buy the groceries, you know, all commands, right? And so in the, the gospel logic, and, and you see this becoming a structure for some of Paul's letters, the indicative comes before the imperative. In other words, who we are in Christ, indicative statement, what Christ has done for us, indicative statement, those statements that we are justified, that we are sanctified, that we have been given the Spirit, that Christ died for our sins, that we are forgiven, that we have standing with God, that we are adopted, all of those indicative statements come before the imperative statements and serve as the basis for the imperatives that Paul gives us in the New Testament. In other words, Paul doesn't say, here's what to do so that you can be justified. It's the opposite. Because you are justified, because you are adopted, because Christ has died and you have been cleansed from your sins, because the old is gone, the new has come, because you are a new creation in Christ, because you have been filled with the Spirit, live this way. So the indicatives, what we've been looking at in Galatians 1 through 4, come before the imperatives. And here at Galatians chapter 5, we begin to move into the imperatival section of the book of Galatians. Now, I understand it can't be strictly defined. Like there's, It's not that there are no imperative statements made in Galatians 1 through 4 and no indicative statements made in Galatians 5 and 6. I get that. But the general trend of Paul's letters is the indicatives come first, and then he teaches us how to live as Christians, not how to live to become a Christian but how to live as a Christian. And so that's what we're going to be looking at in these next few chapters or these last two chapters of the book of Galatians. So let me pray for us. I'm going to read Galatians chapter 5, verses 1 through 15, and we're going to spend a few days looking at this section together. So let me pray, and then we'll read it and jump in. Father, we thank you again for your word. 
And we ask that you would strengthen us to understand your word. We see, Father, how tempted we are to put the imperatives first and think that because of our performance, you are pleased with us and you accept us as righteous. Help us, Father, to keep these things straight in our mind, to know that you accept us only because of the finished work of Jesus Christ credited to our account and received by faith alone. In other words, Father, help us to believe the gospel and resting in it to glorify you in all that we do. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Paul writes in Galatians chapter 5, beginning in verse 1, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. For you are called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Well, there's two things that I want us to see here. In this section, we have some of Paul's most you know, bold statements about his general message to the Galatians and, and, and the results of getting these things wrong. He has just some, some absolutely shockingly bold statements that we're going to look at in the coming days. What I want us to see first is that he addresses, he approaches the, the reality of Christian freedom from two angles that might seem at first blush to be contradictory, but they're actually not at all. So we're going to look just this morning at, at chapter 5, verse 1, and chapter 5, verse 13. Because in these two verses, he frames how we should be thinking about our freedom. And then we'll unpack what each of those mean and, and how he deals with those in the coming days. But first, let's see how he does this. First, in, in Galatians 5, 1, he says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, that is, stand firm in your freedom, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery, or to, to the yoke of slavery that, that is the law that we've been talking about. So, so that's what, what he's dealing with here in our freedom. He's saying, stand firm in your freedom that you have in Christ. Stand firm in the gospel. That Looking back to the conversation we just had the other day on Saturday about Sarah and Hagar, stand firm in the fact that you are a child of the free woman, that you are a child of promise, that, that you are justified by grace through faith in Christ and not by your works. Stand firm in that. 
Now, why would he need to say this? Well, remember, the Judaizers were coming, telling the Galatians that they needed to do certain works. In particular, as he zooms in on here, circumcision. He's reminding them, no, 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 that is not the case. You stand firm in the gospel. That's what it means to stand firm in freedom, to be adamant, sure, certain that my standing before God is because of Jesus Christ and what he has done on my behalf. And in no way does it depend on my performance. In no way does it depend on me being circumcised or keeping the Sabbath or eating the right foods or anything of the sort. Paul is imploring the Galatians to stand firm in that and not submit again to a yoke of slavery. What is the yoke of slavery? It's submitting again to the law for our standing before God. He's saying, cling to your freedom and don't go back to the law for your standing before God because that is to return to slavery. That is to, to be like the Israelites in the desert when God had given them their freedom from the Egyptians, but they wanted to go back to Egypt. Paul's saying, don't do that. But this isn't a free-for-all. In verse 13, he gives us the other side of our freedom. You were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Sometimes people get all worried that if we, if we preach too much grace, if, if, we, if we really talk about the gospel the way Paul does, then that's going to lead to sin. So we need to temper it a little bit. First of all, that's just an asinine proposition. No one who really understands grace, who understands the love of God for them, that do, and, and who, who has been filled with the Holy Spirit, that doesn't result in us running headlong into sin. That's a weak excuse to preach a law to control people and nothing more. But Paul is clear that our freedom doesn't actually mean what some people say we're going to misinterpret it as. So when we just let Paul talk, we see that that, that objection to preaching grace by the bucket load, that that objection is a false objection. He says not to use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. In being freed from sin, we're not being freed to sin. We're actually being freed from it. And so he's saying, on the one hand, because you're free, don't run back to the law and start trying to add your works to, to faith in order to please God and, and, and make him satisfied with you and, and, and to think that your standing is founded on that. On the other hand, the fact that we are free, the fact that we are justified by grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone doesn't mean that all bets are off and we can do whatever we jolly well please and we can live our lives to satisfy our flesh. See, Paul gets both sides of freedom. That on the one hand, we're freed from having to justify ourselves by works of the law. We're freed from that slavery. On the other hand, we're also freed from sin and death. And so, so just like the law is no longer the controlling principle in our life, neither is our flesh the controlling principle in our life. Neither is sin the controlling principle in our life. Our freedom that we have in Christ goes both directions. 
to, to the latter, this freedom from sin, this is what we see in Romans 8, that, that part of the work of the Spirit is to, to, by the Spirit, we put to death the deeds of the body. So we're no longer enslaved to the law. We're free from that, and we need to stand firm in our freedom. But we're also no longer, as Paul talks about in Romans 6, slaves to sin and death. We've been freed from that as well. We've been given the Spirit, and so we don't have to live enslaved to our flesh. So that's those two ideas is what Paul is going to be unpacking over the next two chapters. What does it look like to really live in light of the freedom that we have in Christ? And he's going to deal with both sides of that. So stay with us as we continue to push into the Christian life and what it means to live by faith. May Christ be with you. Thank you.